0: Good morning, everybody. We're going to continue in our series this morning. Um, The statement I'd like for you to just draw your attention to is uh, that uh, when life happens, overwhelming things take place to us, against us, but God has an app for that. And uh, I want to share with you what that application is or what that promise is in times of difficulty uh, for us. But let's just have a word of prayer one more time. Father, we ask your blessings on the word of the Lord this morning. Speak into every heart, encourage and comfort and strengthen us this morning with your presence. And we all said amen. I want, before we, we we do, I want to, uh, this ladder is here for a purpose. Somebody said, are you going to preach from the ladder? Maybe I'll try that. Hey, uh, but, but I've got some photos I wanted to share with you. So um, let's put the first one up. And I hope you can uh, see it really well. Now, that's the last one. That's not the first. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. Okay, that's number two. Okay, number one. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, no, that's number three. This is a lesson in, in, in how to read numbers. All right, let, we'll, start, we'll start with this one, Okay uh can you can you see the the ladder all right let me let me go over here uh, so we're talking about ladders <laughs> thanks doug. okay this ladder a, a lot like this is perched on this very thin uh ledge, and this guy he's spackling. Uh, and uh he's over a stairwell uh I want to say, what are you thinking about, you know? Uh, The reason why ladder companies put all these, I don't know if you ever bought a new ladder, but if you've ever bought a new ladder, they have all kinds of labels and stickers that you've got to get through before you could use it because they are trying to tell people the proper use of ladders and the improper use of ladders. That is an example of improper use. Uh, Let's take a look at the second one. Okay, great. Now, I don't know if you could n- notice it, but l- let me point out to you that the guy who is stretching at the top of this ladder has, it's, it's resting on two c- cinder blocks, which is resting on a table, which is resting on two benches, okay, from a picnic table. That's the picnic table. Those are the benches, the table. I mean, I'm telling you, I want to ask the guy who took the picture, what were you thinking about? When, when this guy went up there. Okay, so let's have the third one. And That third one was the original one that you started with, I think. Or No, okay, here. here, here here's, the, here's this third one, right? And, and I, I could tell this is a European photo. You know, these are our brothers and sisters in Europe, you know, who are a court short, you know. But, but it looks like the, the, the person who is least going to get hurt in all this is the guy in the window, who's receiving this, it looks like a refrigerator to me. Uh, I want to know, what are the guys at the bottom who are holding the ladder? You know, do they have life insurance or what? Because if that thing falls, I mean, they're toast, okay? Here's another picture of a ladder. By the way, Joe Lucci sent me this. Where's Joe? Joe Lucci sent me this, and it's titled, Why Why Women Live Longer Than Men. Okay, (laughs) great, all right here 's a close up of this guy who that 's got to be at least twenty five maybe thirty feet up into the uh, into the air and and he's he 's precariously leaning back, getting something from the guy in the window i i 'm telling you, listen, life is overwhelming in and of itself we don 't have to tempt faith you know what i 'm talking about and 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 these are stupid things that that men and you know sometimes even ladies do you know, that put themselves in harm's way. Uh, I know a little bit about falling off a ladder, which is why I brought the prop here, because uh, it was um, a couple of years ago. Could you put that that, that fifth photo up there for me? This is my house. This is uh, the the, the railing that you see there was brand new several years ago. We had it installed. And uh, right between the uh, railing and uh, the the window there, that's my porch, my front porch. And I was, it was Christmas time. I was hanging up Christmas decorations and my wife was safe and warm, uh, in the living room, uh, which by the way, that's where we first started this church this weekend, 33 years ago. And that's something right in that little living room. We started with about nine people and, uh, so, so she's nice and comfortable, and, and I'm hanging up, and then all of a sudden, the, the ladder just went like this, and I went crashing through the, the, the railing. The railing gave way. The whole thing just popped out, and me and the ladder and the railing were in the bushes. So uh, my wife comes out, Anything that you would say at a moment like that would be the wrong thing. I mean, anything, you know, like, I mean, just don't say anything. Just help me to get up. You know, like, like, what happened? It's not the right question. Uh, What are you doing in the bushes? It's not the right question. I mean, nothing you say can possibly help at a moment like this except Help me to get up without breaking any of the spokes. And, and, and the, the amazing thing is that, that the, the, the railing didn't break. Uh, I didn't get hurt. I didn't break. Uh, the bushes didn't break. And, and, and it was just kind of, you know, supernaturally preserved there. So after I'm up and out of there, you know, we had a pretty good laugh. You know, we, we thought it was pretty funny, you know. Let me tell you what wasn't funny uh, when my son Anthony... Uh, fell off a ladder uh, some years ago. He fell off the top rung of the ladder as he was getting off of a roof. Uh, I can't, I'll never forget the day. It was a Saturday. Um, it was springtime. Uh, I was up in my office preparing some finishing touches on a wedding ceremony that we were doing at four o'clock in the afternoon, and I got the call Anthony got hurt, uh, had fallen, or something. Uh, and uh, was at Huntington Hospital. So we uh, I rushed home, picked up Kathy. Uh, I think maybe Kelly you may have come with Billy later on to meet us at the hospital. And uh, we found out uh, that he broke, both his, he broke both elbows, fractured both elbows. In fact, one of the, his elbows, I don't know if it was his right or his left, uh, was, was described to me as a bag of bones. Uh, he was in a tremendous amount of pain. And I finally came to the, the understanding of what my parents used to say to me when they said something like, this, this hurts me more than it does you. Uh, he had the physical pain, but we were in anguish. Uh, I, as I was driving over, I remembered during the week in Nassau County, uh, a 40-year-old fell off of, off of the roof in a similar kind of accident, and he died. And so we, at that point, we didn't know exactly what to expect. But, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, <clears throat> things just started to kind of fall into place. Like some of the workers that were at Huntington Hospital, Anthony had gone to school with. And so they were showing him, you know, uh, favor. And um, we were able to uh, call uh, a surgeon who was just the perfect surgeon for this type of an injury, who was at a family function, who left the family function and came to the hospital to examine Anthony. And after after several hours of, you know, just just trying to see him get comfortable and, and, and know that he was in pain, uh, you know, I, I didn't forget, but we had a wedding to do. So we stayed with him as as long as we could, and we had about le- less than an hour. From Huntington Hospital, Kathy and I drove uh, to our ho- house in Smithtown Changed our clothes, then drove here to the church, all within less than an hour. And, and I, I can't tell you how we possibly did that, but, but we did it like with a minute to spare. Nobody knew what was going on. There may have been a couple of people that we called in advance to open the church, and, and, and don't worry, we'll be there, you know, and, and they were nervous, but, but there was a calm. And now if you know my wife, she, she cries at McDonald commercials. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and she had to play the, the, the wedding march and then the recessional. And, and nobody, we didn't want to spoil the, uh, the, the joy for the family that was uh, uh, having the wedding that day. So we didn't say anything. I, I did the wedding, you know, with a with perfect calm about us. As soon as the wedding was, was finished, I pronounced them husband and wife, Kathy, finished the, 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 the wedding recessional. We went out the back door and, and drove right back to the hospital. The only thing I can tell you is that all of those things that kind of fell into place, it was God's grace. It was the inexplicable peace of God. It was, it was, it was God coming to us in an overwhelming situation and helping us to, to, to get through the, the difficulty of that day. Um, when we normally talk about the grace of God, we we're normally talking about it in terms of salvation that we're saved by grace through faith and that's not of ourselves it's 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 the gift of god but there's another application about this this unmerit the definition the unmerited favor undeserved unearned and even even unasked for favor of god right but but beyond the definition of grace in terms of salvation paul the apostle uses this concept of grace, and it literally means gift, this concept of God giving a gift for us, other than in salvation, but to live. And, and especially during times when we feel like we're being overwhelmed by life, when, when life happens. And I want you to take a look at me, with me at uh, one portion of Scripture. We'll look at several from the, from the letter that Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthians, But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, Paul uses this idea about grace as being more than just in terms of salvation, but in terms of of having to live through difficult things. And so this is what he says. He says, just to give it context, we'll look at the verse before that, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but... By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. He, he, is, he is talking about the energizing, enabling, and power of God to make Paul effective in, in service. And so he says, he says, no, I worked harder than all of them, that is, the other apostles, of whom I, he says, I'm not worthy to be considered one. He says, yet it was not I, but the grace of God, that was with me or the grace of God that was at work in me. And so Paul uses this understanding of grace as as the, as the energy of God, the, the, the power of God, the strength of God that is found in our humanness at times when we need him especially the most. Now in chapter 10 of the same letter, Paul was speaking and used an example from the Old Testament to, to kind of warn certain people that were in the church at Corinth about becoming too hoardy or too puffed up or too or too proud and he, and he was warning them he said he said by by these examples that he gave in that 10th chapter he said let the one who thinks that he stands be careful lest he fall you know I mean it's one thing to fall off a ladder it's another thing to fall into presumption and to an attitude that you're better than you really should be you know considering yourself Uh, so I want to read to you uh, Eugene Peterson's the message it's a paraphrase it's a a great uh, verse here in first Corinthians now chapter 10 it says don't be naive or self-confident you're not exempt you could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else forget about self-confidence it's useless cultivate God confidence. And then he says this, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have to face. Now at this point, Paul is now speaking to people who are sincerely following the Lord and and run into these overwhelming moments in their life, these emergency situations. And so what he says to them is, all you need to remember is that God will never, let you down. In other words, he's saying that what you need to remember is that God is faithful and he'll never let you be pushed beyond your limit. He'll always be there to help you through it. God will sometimes provide a way of escape, but if he doesn't provide a way of escape, he will give you the strength to bear up underneath it. So Paul wants us to understand this aspect of the power of grace. And this is so important for us. Because this is, this is where life happens. In the circumstances that define our life, in the in the events that that either make us go one way or the other, you know? And 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 God has an app for that. He has an application for that. A couple of weeks ago, when I started this series, I gave another quote from, from Paul about grace and let me just remind you of that it's it's second corinthians 9 8 and it says that god is able to make all grace abound toward you so that in all things at all times having all that you need will abound in every good work that's such a great verse for us this morning to 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 know and to appropriate into our life there's there's no situation there is nothing that can happen that God doesn't have grace for, that God doesn't have this application for to meet the needs of our present circumstances, especially during times of difficulty. What is it? It is the empowerment of God in our human weakness to go beyond our own ability and to give us that supernatural grace, to, to give us that supernatural peace that it's in, 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 inexplicable. Now, God could spare us the hair-raising moments. And you know what? I have a feeling that he does on many occasions, and a lot of times we don't even know about it. You know, he sends an angel to, to, to save us or rescue us from a, a, a near you know, collision or something like that. But, but, but the times that God does not remove the, the difficulty or we, we, we are going through overwhelming circumstances, God is after something. He's wanting, remember last week we spoke about being conformed to the image of God's son. God is after something. He's more concerned about our being transformed than about our comfort. He's more interested in in about our becoming holy rather than our becoming pleasured. And so God will allow these things in order to teach us not to trust in ourselves, but to put our confidence in him. To trust that God is even able to raise someone from the dead. That kind of resurrection faith is what I believe that God is after. So that we will be unshakable in our confidence. Now Paul's confidence obviously was able to grow in those hair-raising experiences that that he had. because, Because it's in those moments that God shows up in a tangible way. When we feel like we're being overwhelmed. Uh, we learn to sing the song that David sang as a prayer. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Have you, ever, have you ever sung that? Maybe not in those exact words, but you felt that, God, this is more than I can take right now. This is more than I can handle. And, and the prayer is, Lord, lead me to the one who is the rock, who, who is above all this present darkness. You know, the Corinthians didn't regard Paul uh, as a superhero the the way that we now in in the 21st century regard the Apostle Paul. I mean, we look at all that he's done. He's written two-thirds of the New Testament, all the things that he's been through. But the fact of the matter is that, that the Corinthians held Paul in contempt. Even though Paul brought them Christ in the gospel initially, they had come to the place where they felt that they went beyond Paul that they were smarter and wiser than Paul, and that they they were more gifted than Paul. And look at all the times Paul has had all of these problems in his life. And so the very fact of the matter is is that Paul is embarrassed by having to authenticate his ministry to them because because false apostles and false teachers had come among the Corinthians and and, uh, had puffed themselves up. And it and it fed right into the, the the very soul of the Corinthian church, and as a result of that, they they deemed Paul as being weak in his appearance, rude in his speech or his his vocabulary, and so they they really had nothing but contempt for the apostle Paul. And so, so Paul, I really believe, reluctantly, but because of love, he began to he began to defend his apostleship and the authenticity of his apostleship and he didn't want to do it by 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 trying to sensationalize uh, his experiences but he, he just kind of reveals his heart and his vulnerability and he just lays bare his soul before us so we're, we're, we're going toward the 12th chapter of the book of Uh, second corinthians but before we get there in chapter 11 let me just tell you what what paul was reduced to have to say so basically what he's saying is this is is i want you to realize the authenticity of my ministry not because of visions or dreams or or not because of anything sensational but because because of my christ-like character because of because of the character and the fruits of my ministry so Paul gives us a list of some of the things that he experienced. You could read that on your own in the 11th chapter. He says, five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Meaning that, f- that five times Paul was brought almost to the point of death. It wasn't a literal 40 lashes because sometimes men just expired even before they got to that many lashes and so the minus one had to do with we're going to bring this guy to the very point of death five times he experienced that three times he was beaten with rods one time he says I was stoned and that's the occasion when we believe that Paul may have actually died but they dragged him outside of the city of Lystra supposing that he was dead having stoned him and he mentions some of the other things uh, in hunger and in thirst and, and in perils of robbers and perils of false brethren and, and, and on and on. And, and Paul is, is, is embarrassed to mention all these things. But he's, he's trying to give us a context for what's about to be revealed concerning the valuableness of grace that we find in the 12th chapter. Grace is absolutely invaluable. Grace is absolutely priceless. It's the, it's, it's, it's the uh, ability to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. It's the ability to, to forgive and to not become bitter because of false accusations and, and slander that was, would be against you. And so what we want to do is we, we want to come to this, this uh, controversial portion of Scripture that's uh, found in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. Now, I tell you, one of the things is that uh, everybody, I believe, you know, has an opinion as to Paul's thorn in the flesh. Have you? Do you know any, anything about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Let me just see your uh, hands. You've heard something about it. You've read about it. You know, you've heard a message about it. Everybody's got an opinion about what Paul's thorn in the flesh is, and I really think that that people. Uh, miss the the point of the story Uh, excuse the pun get it thorn point Uh, the thorn you know is not the issue it's it's the provision of God that becomes the issue in the story of what Paul is is about to tell us Um, so let's just jump into 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 and Paul says this I must go on boasting although there was nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Now, now let me just stop here for a minute. Visions, if I tell you, you know, that, that, that I had a vision of angels and, and angels came and, and I even saw the, the Lord. Visions cannot be authenticated. They can be fabricated. In fact, that's what Paul wants them to realize, that, that visions can be fabricated and people can use that as a means of bringing about deception. And you could follow this person because they've had this, 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 this incredible vision, right? And, and Paul says, he says listen, he says, it, it really doesn't profit you for me to tell you about the vision that I have. You're not going to gain anything out of this. He says, he says in verse 2, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, was caught up into the third heaven. The man that he's talking about is himself. And and the experience that, that took place happened 14 years before he's ever telling it to anybody because he's really reluctant to share it because this is not what Paul was about. So he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into the paradise of God. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. And what's Paul talking about? He's talking about an experience, a vision that he had, that he was literally brought up into the very paradise of God. Now, now this is the reason why we're going to talk about this thorn. And one of the reasons why grace is so invaluable, why, why grace is so priceless. Because I tell you what, if 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 it was f- for visions, if visions could make you holy, if visions could make you righteous or pure, you know, than Solomon, who, who had not one vision of the Lord, who the Lord appeared to him, but had two, two different appearances of God literally coming to, to Solomon. But it didn't change his heart. It didn't change the desires or, the, or his lust for pleasure. And, and, and as a result of that, you know, grace is so much more valuable to keep us and to strengthen us in our walk with God. In verse 5, it says this, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. I'm not going to brag about me, Paul says, except about my weakness. Now here's where Paul turns the world upside down. He, 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 here's where God had meant the world to be right side up by the preaching of the gospel. And, and there's so many examples of this, that, that the way up is down, you know, that the way to life is through death. You know, and here Paul says that the way in which that we can become strong in the Lord in the power of his might is through weakness. Remember, the Bible says that Christ was crucified in weakness. But yet it was the greatest demonstration of the love and power and grace of God that Jesus willingly, no one took his life from him, but he laid down his life freely of his own accord. He says this, in verse 6 even if i should bo- choose to boast i will not be a fool because i would be speaking the truth but i refrain so that so that no one will think more of me than is warranted warranted what what i do or say in other words he's saying i don't i don't want you the the teacher who taught the disciples the, the Corinthians, not to think of themselves more highly than they should, said, look, I don't want you to think of me more highly than you should. And so he, he's giving us these examples, leading us to this place where he's about to tell us. In verse seven, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. And this is where we can kind of get distracted by this thorn in the flesh. You know, what, what, what is this thorn in the flesh? Well, what, whatever it was, it was painful. A couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, I was pruning, you know, March is the time to do some pruning. I was pruning my rose bushes and, and, and I thought I just had a little pinch in, in my finger. But a couple of days later, I realized that there was something underneath my skin. And uh, it was the point of a thorn. And my whole finger became infected by it. And it hurt. I couldn't write with my index finger as a result of that. I had to, had to go in and dig it out with a sterilized needle and a magnifying glass. I mean, it was so small, but it hurt so much. And, and that's the point of, of thorns. You know, whatever this thorn was, and we probably could figure out what it wasn't easier than we can figure out what it is. Some have suggested that it was sexual temptation. And I can't see that whatsoever because, because the answer for, for, for Paul wouldn't have been, you know, no. It, it would have been something else. It would have been, it would have been a different answer. And so I want just, to just take a look at Paul's experience of this thorn in this overwhelming situation in his life. We know that from, from verse 7 that the thorn was given to him to prevent Paul from falling off of the ladder into the abyss of pride. You see, because of the tremendous revelations that was given to him, he said this thing was given to me to keep me from being conceited. I mean, to be caught up into the very paradise or presence of God. Imagine what 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 the temptation was for Paul to really think that he was special, that he was unique, that I mean, he did write two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, his head could have been sw- swollen with, with pride and hoardiness. But he says, to keep me from falling into conceit and, and pride, there was given to me this, this pain, this thorn in the flesh. Now, what theologians write about in this, because we, we want to find out who was the cause. Theologians call this the divine passive, meaning that God who is sovereign over all, though God may not be the original one who, who supplied the thorn or the source of the thorn, nevertheless, that God, because of his, his sovereignty, has allowed it for a reason. And the reason why God has allowed it is for this purpose, to bring about good and strength on the behalf of the Apostle Paul, to bring, so that he would not be puffed up. Now, what I want you to think about is this. There are so many that have made suggestions, you know, as to what the thorn is, you know. Uh, Luther and uh, uh, Calvin and and so many other great, you know, theological names that come up with all of these different possibilities. Malaria, kidney stones, you know, uh, an eye uh, ailment, you know. Both physical and emotional things are, are spoken of. The word Satan, as 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 may be used here, is the literal word for adversary. And I can't imagine Paul praying for the guy who had gone through everything that we just referenced in in chapter eleven. I can't imagine that 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 the guy who went through all of that, all of those persecutions, was simply praying not to be persecuted, because Paul knew that in that in every place where he would go preach the gospel that. Bonds and afflictions, persecutions, were inevitable. In fact, what he said was, none of these things moved me, neither count I my life dear to myself. But whatever it was, th- this was serious, and Paul really wanted deliverance from this. And so we're going to look at verse 8. I believe that the key to this is that Paul did not identify what the thorn actually was. He left it open. And the reason why he left it open is so that we, with various experiences and various circumstances, could be able to identify with Paul's struggle and realize that there is grace available to us in every circumstance and in every situation. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit made it purposely ambiguous. So he says this in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane three times and then submitting himself to the will of God, that God's will would be done. He said, take this cup from me. A very similar prayer. And three may not necessarily be exactly three times, but it it is a Jewish idiom to to help us to understand that Paul prayed through until he got an answer. And the answer was this. My grace, verse 9, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You don't learn this in the classroom, folks. You, you, you don't learn this in a book. You learn this through the crucible, through the, through the fire. You, you learn this in the moments when you need God to show up and he shows up and he gives you that supernatural peace or he gives you that, that, that ability to get through it. Or, or sometimes, sometimes he spares you from those hair-raising moments, but at other times you go through it and you don't know how you went through it, but... But you've come through it and you've gotten stronger as a result of that your faith has been stretched your faith has been deepened your your confidence in God has been has been made sure as a result of it. how many of you know that that when you work out say you want to build up muscles and so you exercise you know and uh, you know you, you go to the to the place and to the point where You know, you've expended all your energy and your your muscles are actually at that moment actually tearing and they're kind of breaking down. And that's not when you get strong, when you're in the midst of exercise or exertion. The, The moment that you begin to enter into a place of rest, the body begins to release different proteins and amino acids and begins to build, rebuild those muscles, but only it rebuilds it stronger than it was before. And what I'm saying to you this morning is this. When you and I learn how to enter into the rest that God has provided in Christ and to receive the grace of God that we need in every circumstance and in every situation, those are the times that we begin to get deeper in God and to become stronger in the Lord. I want you to listen to this quote from John Piper. John Piper said this. He said, The deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity is not quick relief, but the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is a part of the greatest purpose in the universe, the glorification of the grace and power of his son, the grace and power that bore him to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. That's what God is building into our lives. That is the meaning of weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamity. Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. Because sometimes God rescues us from those hair-raising moments, and sometimes God allows us to go through them only to get stronger in them. Here's a quote from Sam Storms. He says, so much of what possesses or passes, excuse me, for contemporary Christianity speaks often of strength and triumph and victory, but not in the same sense or not in the sense in which Paul does. For them, it means avoidance of hardship and deliverance from weakness. That's what they're talking about. He says, but for Paul, it means perseverance in hardship and unyielding faith in spite of weakness. In the case of the former, we we are seen as being strong and smart and worthy of praise. In the case of the latter, Christ alone has center stage. In other words, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about glorying Christ. It's about our ability to magnify Jesus, not magnify ourselves. Paul had no joy in the pain. He was not a masochist or a a sadist, you know. Uh, The pain that was caused by the thorn was not good intrinsically in and of itself, but God was able to bring about good because God works in all things for our good and for his ultimate glory as we enter into a place of yielding to to the grace of God. After a long night of drinking, Joshua Hansen from Minneapolis, Minnesota, crashed through a hotel window and fell 16 stories to the ground. There was an awning that he fell on top of that was at street level that broke his fall. He had a punctured lung. He had a torn trachea. Uh, he had a broken leg, but, but he survived the fall. The AP had interviewed him. The Associated Press had interviewed him and said, why do you think you survived? And he said, I wish I knew. Maybe somebody has a plan for me. Uh, the fall uh, that Mr. Hansen had, had uh, gone through gave him a new perspective. He went to church that Sunday. And he said, there was not a day that's gone by since that I haven't been thankful to God that I'm still here. Now, despite his injuries... It seems like, you know, some good may have happened as a result of his, of his fall. A brush with mortality will sometimes do that. A new perspective will sometimes do that. But the passing of time, the healing of his lung and of his leg and, and, and of his trachea, you know, you, you wonder, is, is that going to be a lasting effect upon this man's life? You see, a change of perspective only lasts until the next change of perspective. What we need is not a change of perspective, but what we need is a change of heart. And the only way that we can have a changed heart is through the grace of God. And God is willing to give his grace in abundance. You don't have to fall off of a ladder to find the grace of God. But if, if you do, if we fall into overwhelming circumstances, what I want you to know is this, is that the bottom line is that the the promise of of grace will always be enough. Some of you here this morning are maybe overwhelmed because of a relationship situation. Some because of a financial situation. Some may be here this morning who are going through a a physical, you know, a, a medical kind of situation. I want you to know that in all things, he's promised that he will be faithful and that he will supply all of our needs by his riches and glory in Christ. Beloved, the promise of grace will always be enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the, the grace of God that is energizing, that is operative, that is effective in all of our circumstances and in all of our situations. Your grace is sufficient for us. When we confess, Lord God, our limitations, when we confess, Lord God, before you, our our weaknesses, that places us in a position to humbly receive the grace that you offer. I just want to pray for people this morning, Father, that that may feel like they're at that point in their life. They just, they just need grace to help them, to enable them. Maybe it's, it's not a deliverance from a hair-raising situation that, that we're talking about this morning, but maybe it's just the enablement to get through, to get through another week of work, to get through another confrontation, to, to get through feelings maybe of unforgiveness or, or anger about a situation. Father, I know that you will supply the grace that strengthens us and that enables us because you're faithful and you've made a promise to us that in all these things, Lord God, you will show yourself strong on our behalf. I just pray this, Father, now in the name of your Son, Jesus, that in all this, Jesus would be glorified, that grace would be exalted, that the name of Jesus would be extolled and lifted up, and we said together, amen.